Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Welcome, I'm Brad Wilson. Loving the Christ Life is presented each week by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check out our website, christ-life.org. Now, we're going to get right into this continuing wonderful conference that Warren Litzman held many years ago in South Africa. We've been playing excerpts from it, and we want to get right back into it. It's very special, and we thank you for all of your wonderful response regarding what we're doing with these great conferences. Here's Warren. So the point really is, that this is a God thing. Nobody in the scriptures figured this out. For 4,000 years of your Bible, nobody knew that this was in God's mind. When Jesus of Nazareth came I believe he knew what was in God's mind because he sat in the conference where God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit planned all this. But he didn't say a word about it because he was given to seeing that these people who had rejected him would finally put the kingdom together and accept him as a Messiah. At least three times Jesus of Nazareth said, I've got things to talk to you about. I've got important things to tell you, but I can't do it now. One place, he so much as said, you're not smart enough to understand it if I talked about it. And he was right. Even to this day when we talk about it, even in meetings like this, people don't understand it. But that was God's plan. We live in a civilization where everything that marks this situation, this civilization, whether it's science or education or, or medicine or whatever it is, everything in our civilization has never taken into account, even religion has not taken into account that Christ in you is your hope of glory. They've never taken it into account. So I live in a very dumb world we can send a man to the moon, but we can't cure the common cold. That's a God thing. He lets us on one hand think, yeah, you're somebody. Look at what you did. But on the other hand, when you get sick in the bed with the flu and can't move a limb and got a hot fever and nobody can help you get out of it except sedate you somehow, that's the kind of world you live in. That's a God thing. Sure, he'll give you wisdom enough to know how to split an atom. But in the final analysis, he's not going to change your nature in your thinking unless you love him. So the seed is put in you by a father. There are very few sinners who when they get saved have the understanding that at this moment God has placed His seed in me. I now have Christ in me and I'm a Christian. There are very few places you get a gospel like that. But that's what happens. Instead, 
The poor sinner gets up from the altar and he's repented. He's talked about all his past and he feels alleviated in his, in his spirit somehow. I do feel a lot better to get that off my chest. But that wasn't what God wanted him to do. God's not interested in sinners repenting. What he'd like is for his church to repent. But his interest is not repentance of sinners. That's Old Testament. They had to repent then because they didn't have Christ in them. What he wants sinners to do is to know that they've accepted Christ, not only as Savior, but as life. That's the gospel that's needed. You see, God does this thing. Sinner doesn't do it. Sinner doesn't make it possible. Sinner doesn't have a hand in it. Sinner, all he knows is he's getting something off his chest. Feels better, I'm going to be like Mama always wanted me to be now. But he doesn't know that a seed has been planted in him that will never leave him. And if he keeps the same old mind he has, even though he has that seed in him, he's going to go in reversal, into sin, into problems, into trials. But his spirit has that seed in him. In the Christ life, we have a very fluent ministry in prison work. We didn't ask for this. We have our hands full in getting this message out. But all of a sudden, the message fell into the hands years ago into the hands of a few prisoners. And now then, we supply the literature to over 40 American prisons and I think for about 10 or 12 federal prisons in the United States. By the request of the prison themselves, they want this material because they saw such a change in convicts, such a change in them. You know what the change was? Many of them had the seed in them and no sense to go with it. Didn't have any sense. They were dumb and ignorant of what God had done when they were children maybe or young teenagers or whatever before they got in severe trouble. And you know what? When they got this message and their minds began to change, all of a sudden, a miracle took place. Some of us said, well, I believe I got saved for the first time. No, the first time was when they accepted Jesus. What they got now was knowledge to go with Christ. I have a lot of people who come into these meetings, and some of them are rejuvenated, regenerated. And they come to me and say, well, I, I feel like I got saved for the first time. You know why they feel that way? For the first time, they've got a soul and spirit in coordination. For the first time, they feel like who they really are. That's what it's supposed to be. This is a God thing. He planned it. From the beginning, this was in His plan. And this is the way He intended to work with human beings. God never intended that you have all the troubles that you had in your life. He never intended that. The hell that many of you have been through as Christians was never intended by God. He said, then why did God let it? 
He could have alleviated your pain and your hurt and your circumstance, but he would not have created a love affair. You wouldn't have loved him anymore. I used to be in the, still am, in the healing ministry. I believe Christ heals the sick. I believe the Christ in you is a healer. But when I was in the overt healing ministry, I would see God do things for people that was unbelievable, and none of them would have any intention of serving God. They'd go to the big meetings because everybody could go there, be free, be happy, sing and shout, and maybe get a miracle. But no change. That's one thing that brought me to this knowledge. That's what pushed me to learning Christ. But your life doesn't change because God does something for you. That's grace. That's grace. Grace is God blessing you when you're dumb as a doorknob. <laughs> That's grace. He's full of grace and mercy. But that's not you being who you're supposed to be. You're his child, birthed by him. He wants a love affair out of you. And the love affair starts when you recognize God is behind everything. This is all a God affair. You begin to learn who you are. You see, the real you is that seed. There is no real you outside of that seed. What there is of you outside of that seed is an actor. Back in show business. We've all been actors. I had a good testimony from a lady the other day in California. She said, since I stopped going to the church buildings, I've been ridiculed by everybody, including my own family. But she said, I looked at my own family the other day and told them that I'm not going to be an actor anymore. I'm not going to tell you that going to the church building makes me a better person. That was her way of looking at it. She said, when I went there, I was just acting because they never told me about Jesus as my life. This is a God thing. He's done it to you. You need to learn about it. And only Paul can tell you about it. Point number four. The birthing is eternal. It's eternal. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When do you have eternal life? The moment you believe. If I had to put a prerequisite on it, I had to put a condition on it, if I had to say, well, I think they got saved, but... I think they went to the altar, but... I don't know whether it really took with them. 
Well, who does know? The only one that knows is them and God. But let's look at it this way. If a seed is placed in you from God, it has to be eternal. Now somehow, religiously speaking, we've come to a point that we think God comes in bits, pieces, and parts. We got all this, I think, out of the Old Testament and out of the four Gospels, that everything comes to us in bits, pieces, and parts. Like Jesus of Nazareth would say, except you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can't get big things done. So we say, well, I've got a little faith, but I don't have enough. You ever, you ever say that? You ever say, well, I think i got a little faith, but not enough. That's ignorance, ignoring the Christ that is in you. You don't have the faith anyhow in grace. Grace means that it's Christ, that Christ is all. It's Paul saying, I no longer live. Christ liveth in me. It's giving that living Christ in you a position, a place. He's the one that has the faith. I've told you before, there are five scriptures that say that the faith is the faith of Christ. And all five scriptures are changed in every Bible beyond the King James Version. Why would they do that? They don't know Christ lives in them. We're studying Bibles that have no sense that Christ lives in the human being, that we have been birthed by another person, Christ in us. We have no concept of that. Not even the Bible we go to will tell us that consistently. This seed that's in you is eternal. Eternal life. I spent a lot of my years, I, I've taught in several different colleges, and I spent a lot of years there arguing with people over, over uh, salvation, the seed that's in us. I never got past the arguing stage until I saw that the seed is eternal. That's it. The seed doesn't come because I'm a good Baptist and leave me when I'm a backslidden Baptist. The seed isn't put in me temporarily on condition. The seed is eternal. Don't you think God knew that about human beings? What if God made it conditional that everybody that gets saved is saved on the basis of what they know and understand? Where do you think you'd be? How would you fit into that? If salvation was based on what you think and what you know and what somebody else teaches you, how in the world could you ever be a Christian? If the seed were not eternal, we would be hopeless in our believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be a hopeless condition. The seed's eternal. So we went next to the argumentative stage of how you get rid of a seed. You tell me, in our modern day world, you get rid of the seed naturally by getting an abortion.
So if you were to apply that to a spiritual condition, then the Father who put the seed in you would also have to take the seed out of you. Abort it. You'd have to abort it. It's not a question of once saved, always saved. It's a question of the birthing. You understand that? He'd have to take the seed out because he put it in there. If man in the natural birthing puts a seed in, then man can take it out by aborting. But can you and your fondest ideas imagine a God who would look at a poor, struggling sinner that lived in a world that didn't preach the true gospel to him, provided a bunch of Bibles that took out of it what the seed was, went to churches that didn't believe in eternal life now in the believer, And this God looks at them and says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to jerk that seed out of them. He didn't put that seed in them because they were good or because they were bad and needed it. He put it in them because he loved them. You know, I do a lot of talking about the love of God, but there's a strange phenomenon there in the Scriptures. Very strange. Over in the in the Lord's Prayer in John 17, there's an unusual thing that takes place. Sometime we may have a whole conference on John 17. But in John 17, a strange thing happens from Jesus when he talks to the Father. He says 18 times the word world in that prayer. Just one chapter, 18 times Jesus uses the word world and you get from the very first use of the word that he's not happy in this world. And he's not happy with the world and he's not happy with his followers being in this world. What a strange phenomenon. When you look back to the first chapters of John, like John 3 where he says, For God so loved the world. And the end of John's Gospel, you see a great difference between the Father who loved the world and gave them His Son as their life and Jesus who came to His own and His own received Him not. The world didn't like it. That's a little sidelight. Takes a lot of investigation to see the difference there. But Jesus hated his life in this world. And you know when that started? I'm getting ahead of myself because we're going to get into this back in Philippians chapter 3. But that started 
when Jesus rode the white ass into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That was a turning point. From that point on, Jesus didn't belong to the Jews alone. He belonged to the world. From that point on, he would no longer try to raise up the kingdom standard. Though he did mention it one more time after that. That was the day he knew that the heart of God's plan was his death. That God's heart itself was based on death. That life with God comes out of death. That's the day he got it fixed and cried out to the multitude who gave him the greatest ovation he ever had. He's cried, except I die, I do no works that are worthwhile. You know what I think of that verse. I've seen it in my day that that same Jesus has healed the sick, performed miracles, unbelievable miracles, but my generation doesn't believe in him. We got preachers on television that reach millions of people at one time who want the miracles but make no change in their life. So Jesus said himself, until I die, I have made no change in people's lives. He would not condescend in his final moments to being a body person preacher. He knew that God's message must be preached for life comes out of death. It's eternal. This thing you've received is eternal. I'll not argue with you over it, but if you can show me how God can ever pull a seed out that he's put in, then you have a point. But it's a seed. It's eternal. It's eternal. There's a, a little verse of scripture I really like where it says on the resurrection morning when we see Jesus, what do we see? We'll see that we are like him. Isn't that wonderful? That means that through all my lifetime, all my struggles, all my ups and downs, all my fears and doubts, that seed was still there. And on the resurrection morning when I get a body comparable to the seed, I'm going to see that I just like Jesus. Just like him. The seed never failed. The birthing is what brought us into the family and nothing else. Just the birthing. So the seed is eternal. When God put his hand on your life, he put it there for eternity. I've seen preachers who lose the vision, who quit the ministry, their calling, who give up for different reasons. 
But when God touches you, it's eternal. Eternal means getting out of this world into the next. That's what's eternal about it. Once you see Jesus in your new body, you won't have any doubts about being eternal. But right now, the love affair says that I need to get it fixed in my mind that this life I now have and now live is eternal right now. Never going to leave me. Why? I'm God's child. He's my father. That's the richest thing that's happened to me from my viewpoint in the birthing. He's my father. I have his nature in me. I'm a bona fide son of God. I'm a bona fide offspring of God. I'm not a good Baptist trying to get to heaven. I'm a bona fide offspring of God. I don't have any doubt about going to his house. I don't have any doubt about going to heaven. I'm a bona fide offspring of his. His grace has provided for me a position in life where no doubt or fear or hindrance or hurt can come against me. Not even the devil. See, I talk very little about the devil because he's very little in my understanding. God's my father. I'm a birth child of his by that seed, by that birthing. I'm a birth child of his. Jesus knew this. Jesus of Nazareth knew this. That's why in uh, John 15, he gives a beautiful story of the prodigal. Prodigal can be selfish. The prodigal can want all his gifts in ministries now. He wants all his power now. He wants all his faith now. And the Father is kind, but ever intelligent toward dealing with his child. So this is Jesus talking about the eternal program. So this Father gives that dumb kid all that he wanted. Give the whole thing to him. Let him have it. He got plenty of it. Give it away. Because the dumb kid has to learn. What is he going to learn? That the things of life are unimportant? No. That's the simplicity. The provoking thing he's going to learn is that he is a child of that father and that cannot be made non-existent. That's what he is. So in the hog pen, the seed of the father in him comes to life vibrantly because he's gotten down to a point now to where his self-interest is deteriorating by the hogs around him. See, it's just deteriorating. How could my self-interest be so important? How could what I think I am? Well, who could I think I was that was so important? How can I get in this fix living with the hogs now? So he's down at the bottom. And at the bottom, the first thing that happens to him 
is the love of God is manifested through the seed of that father, which is God's intention. That's life. That's life. I've had the joy of telling many a person that were on the bottom, whether they were drug addicts, alcoholics, or poor Christian people who didn't know who they were, whose faith had run out, whose love for God had run out, I've had the joy of telling them the seed is still there. And when you hit bottom of knowing that there's nothing to you, that seed will shine brightly. But it won't shine through your filth of self-interest. So when you get on the bottom, that's not all bad. Not all bad when you suffer and hurt and think you're not going to make it. When you get a hold of this idea that Christ is your life, you're going to see that you're not afraid of death. You be like Paul. I'd rather be with the Lord and be here. It takes death to get there. Your whole attitude will change. It's a different kind of life. Christianity is not you making it. It's Christ in you bringing you forth. That's what it's all about. So this thing's eternal. Not here today and gone tomorrow. It's literally eternal life. That's point four. We still got some points. We'll come back to them this afternoon at three o'clock. It's time to go eat. What a wonderful group you are. We'll stop here, but another great excerpt from one of the many conferences Warren Litzman held around the world over the years. This one from South Africa. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful sessions. Also, Valerie Hill does our Twitter account, does a great job on that. Tammy Laycock does a great job on our podcast notes each week. And, of course, this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Visit our website, christ-life.org. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.